Good morning. And Kyle, I know you already did, but I have to do it. I just, it doesn't feel right. But I'll let you finish it. I'll start it and you finish it. This is the day the Lord has made. Not near as good as I said it, but that's okay. It's okay. We'll keep working on that. Yeah, it is a day to rejoice. And I, I really don't want to call attention to specific individuals, but it's really good to see some people that I haven't seen in recent weeks. And I know the virus and other things are the cause of that. It's really good uh, to see Mrs. Miller here today. That's Nancy's mom. Was it 94, Nancy? She turned 94 like two weeks ago, Helen Miller over there. So happy birthday, belated happy birthday. Very excited about that. Jeremy and Hannah Parker have indicated their desire to want to be identified as members here. A young couple that have been in Blake and Madison's class. Unfortunately, she is ill this morning, but I think they're here with us virtually. So we'll get to hug their necks next week. Um, but we are glad to have them here with us as well. So whether you're here with us virtually or visually, it's always uh, an honor and a blessing to be with you. I hope that you have been spending time in Romans 12 over these past few weeks. Uh, as we've talked about the last couple of weeks, in the first 11 chapters of Romans, Paul does a magnificent job of really describing how amazing our God is, how his mercy is extended to us in so many different ways, that he has love that is incomparable for us, that there is no condemnation in Christ, that he, we can never be separated from his love. And chapter after chapter after chapter, Paul is introducing us to God. And to just be in awe of him as he is in awe of him. And then we get to chapter 12, this pivotal transitional chapter where Paul is basically saying, you know, on the heels of all these amazing things about God, what kind of response does he deserve? How should we respond to that? Is it just kind of like a smile? Is it maybe just a casual affirmation? What should our lives look like to show him that we are so honored, that we are so blessed to know that he has called us his children? And so in chapter 12, we find out that it's really about having that response that should prompt us to live a life that is pleasing to him. This is our spiritual worship, our reasonable worship. And so Paul does a great job in this whole chapter of really outlining kind of what it looks like. Let's not just have to imagine it, but let me just paint a picture of what it really looks like to live a life that is pleasing to God. And so last week in verses 3 through 8, we talked about how it is pleasing to God when he sees that we recognize that even though we are all individual members, all with different talents and different gifts and different functions, that when we use those talents and those gifts and those functions, that we are a healthy body, that is giving honor to God, that is serving our neighbor, that is enabling us to be the best that we can be for his glory. And so God recognizes that as individual members of this body, that honoring him is about being unified as that one body. Today and next Sunday, we're going to look at a series of, of what we would might call short appeals. Um, now, I know when I say this, I'm going to lose Blake and Randy probably here for the next few minutes. But in verses 9 through 16 that Chris just read for us, you could actually have 21 different subjects. There are 21 different short appeals in verses 9 through 16. So you'd have 21 different sermons, if you will, just from these verses 9 through 16. We're only going to look at one of them. 
And then Blake and Randy, you tell me later on if I was pretty close to that. But what he's really saying here in verses 9 through 16 and also carrying on to next week is that he is urging us through these short appeals, these little one-liners, to pursue attitudes and actions in life that give him glory. Every day, in every circumstance, any age, any place you live. These are ones that make a difference in our everyday life. Now, if you were to look at just verses 9 through 16, and just to that section, like I said, that Chris read earlier, and if I were to ask you to kind of maybe give it a theme, how would you kind of characterize these verses? Some of you might say, well, it looks like a one another section to me, and that would be appropriate, because there's at least three one another's that he mentions in, in this section. Some of you might like the, the, the subject that is probably right above your passage where it says love and action, and that would also be appropriate. But it's not about just trying to isolate on one, but I don't know why. It's just one just kind of jumped off the page to me as I was reading this over several weeks ago. And it's, it's just because I get to pick since I'm up here that we're just going to focus on this one particular thought this morning. Uh, and, and I think that really, in some respects, when we look at this, it really is a, a foundational thought that if we will embrace, if we will grasp, that I think it helps us to be able to do all the other 20 that are mentioned just in these seven or eight verses. And that is cling to what is good. Cling to what is good. Now, the unfortunate thing about, I think, about this particular topic is that we live in a world where I think there are those who are very cynical, those who are very um, anti-church, anti-God, that would really say that this whole idea of being good, that's kind of archaic. That sounds kind of churchy. What do you mean just be good? And I, and I think it's even further trivialized by expressions that we have relating to good. We might say, ah, oh, she's just a goody two-shoes, or he's just a do-gooder. Or maybe like the lady, I'm sure I've shared this story with you, who called me. It's been 25 or 30 years ago. She called me on a Friday afternoon, asked if I could do her brother's funeral the next day. And I said, well, I'd like to get with you and just visit a little bit about him. And she said, no, keep it short. He was good for nothing. And the next day, there were two of us at that funeral, her and me. Kind of sad to think about a life that you could only characterize as good for nothing. But I want to suggest to you this morning, as we look at this thought about what it means to cling to what is good, there's much more than meets the eye than just doing good things or just being known as a good person, although that in itself would also be a wonderful compliment. I think in the biblical context of this thought, when we choose to cling to what is good, we become absolutely amazing blessings to other people. We become amazing blessings to God. And if you don't believe it, listen to the passages that we're going to look at this morning. And I think you'll be convinced that when Paul is telling us to cling to what is good, that he's not just giving us some kind of elementary lesson here that doesn't have any real deep theology to it. There's a lot more here than meets the eye. The fact of the matter is, when we decide to cling to what is good, God is able to bring out the very best in us. 
God is able to bring out the very best in each of us when we are committed and devoted to living a life that is good. The idea of good or goodness in the Bible is that of moral excellence. Trying to live that kind of life that is excellent, that is, rec- that is cognizant of what God has in mind for us. Living the kind of life that brings him honor and glory. But then we would also go on to talk about what the word cling means. Cling, as you can imagine, means to stick to, to hold together, to resist separation, to embrace something. The New Living Translation would say, hold tight to what is good. Be tenacious. Don't let go of things that are good. You may be surrounded by a world that doesn't really seem to care about that, but do not give up on goodness. In 1 Thessalonians, Paul would say, hold on to what is good. I think, in other words, what he's saying here is we need to love good things. We need to love goodness. We need to be passionate about wanting to be good people. So not only does a life devoted to doing good or clinging to good serve as an unshakable foundation, but let me just share with you some thoughts, some results, some consequences, I think, of what takes place when we decide to live lives where we are clinging to what is good. The first one comes from Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, when Jesus says, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your God in heaven or give glory to your God in heaven. I think the very first consequence of, of a life that is consecrated, that is devoted to clinging to what is good, is that it allows God to be seen in a favorable light. And believe me, God needs to be seen in a more favorable light than the world gives him credit for. He says, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Peter would say in 1 Peter chapter 2, live such good lives among the people that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God. So let your good deeds, let your actions, let the way you interact with people be a sign that God is going to get the glory for that, that God's going to receive that glory, that he's the ultimate reason for that. So clinging to what is good means to be seen, means to to allow God to be seen in a favorable light. The second thing, and Paul mentions it here in Romans chapter 12, verse 21, is that clinging to what is good conquers evil. In chapter 12, verse 21, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. What he's suggesting here is that he's proposing to us, he's encouraging us to realize that the kind of life that gives God glory and honor is not a life that is just absent of evil things, but it's the presence of good as well. It's not just saying I don't do bad things, but, but, but what am I doing in a proactive in a, in, in, a, in a planned out, in a conscientious way to make sure that I'm doing good for other people. Because I would suggest to you that, and don't misunderstand when I say this, but, but doing good things doesn't always just come naturally to us. It doesn't always just come naturally. Sometimes it just has to be something where we are just focused on it and we're seeing opportunities where we can do good things. It may be something as simple as seeing someone walking in to a store before us and opening up that door for that person to allow them to go in first. Or it might be just something as nice as just 
greeting someone as you're walking down in the mall and just seeing someone and just saying good morning. Just something like that where we actually are intentional about being good because it doesn't always come naturally. So let me just suggest two or three things here. We're going to spend more time about it next week. But let me just show you and talk to you about what I means to know that good can conquer evil. I think the way that good conquers evil, one way is from what Paul said in Galatians chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. Listen to what he says here. Let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time we'll reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. I think one way that clinging to what is good conquers evil is when we are helping other people, when we are doing for other people. Listen, we know that we live in a world where people are abused physically, emotionally, verbally, spiritually, in every sense of the word. People can just be awful, can do all kinds of heinous, evil things to other people. The breath of fresh air is for those of us, not only here in this auditorium, but those who are online, to be able to see opportunities that just helping our neighbor is a statement that says that you are worth something. You have value. You're one of God's creation. And, and, and I'm here in your life today to help you understand the value that you have. Just helping other people is one way of conquering evil. Love your neighbor. Loving your neighbor. We're going to look at that next week. So just hold on to that thought for next week. Paul would say, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only that which serves for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Words and speech that build up is another way to conquer evil, because you know as well as I do that, again, people feel beaten down every day from every direction about whether or not they're living life right or whether they're doing this correctly or they haven't succeeded here they failed there they let people down encouraging words are such a great way to to defeat and overcome evil let us be those people who have those positive encouraging words and then enjoying life as god intends for us to enjoy life i really believe that evil really wants to force us into a box of fear anger and bitterness just to steal our lives, to make us look that life is not a blessing, but that it's an ordeal, that it's just a burden. In John chapter 10, I love when Jesus says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Every day of life is an absolute incredible blessing. It is an opportunity for us to serve others, to help others, to speak a good word to others, to live life to the full, not as captives to fear or anger or bitterness. And believe me, it's not just in these last two years that, the, that those seeds of discord and anger and bitterness have been sown and that we're seeing the result of that. It's just always been. It just seems maybe more exacerbated in the last couple of years because of all circumstances that we're aware of in life. But then clinging to good also brings about incomparable blessings, amazing blessings. Listen to these promises. In Romans chapter 2, verse 7, 
Paul would write, To those who by persistence in doing good seek glory, honor, and immortality, he will give eternal life. To those who by persistence in doing good. It's something that we need to make sure that we're almost fanatical about, that we're so devoted to in making sure that we're doing good. And God says, you do that, and you're going to have this reward of eternal life. There is no question that as Paul talks about what it means to get these incomparable blessings, that we understand that God is able to let all things work together for good to them that love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. That is an amazing promise. That is an amazing blessing that he showers upon us. I was thinking about these passages in the Old Testament, even in Amos chapter 5. Listen to what Amos writes. Seek God, not evil, that you may live. Then the Lord Almighty will be with you, just as you say he is. Hate evil and love God. The Lord Almighty will be with you. He's always with us, but I think when we're doing good, we see him more clearly. We hear him more clearly. We're more aware of his presence because of the difference that we're making on his behalf. And then in Psalm 107, the psalmist writes, Oh, that we would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of, of men. For he satisfies, listen to this, for God satisfies the longing soul and fills the hungry soul with goodness. God satisfies the longing soul, that soul that is seeking after goodness. And then Nahum, chapter 1, verse 7, he writes, The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble, and he knows those who trust in him. You know, if you think that the word good is, is pretty elementary, that it's really not really deep when you think about what it means to be a Christian, just remember that God is good. And being like God is even better. There are 23 different references in the Bible to God and his goodness. 23 different references to him being good. And you remember when the, when the, when the individual approaches Jesus in, in Mark chapter 10 and calls him good, good teacher, good shepherd, good servant, and Jesus said, oh, no, 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 only God is good. Even Jesus wanted to reserve that description of God as being good just for his father and not even just for himself. So there's no question that clinging to what is good allows God to be seen in a favorable light. Clinging to what is good allows us to conquer evil, the opposite of goodness. And clinging to what is good leads to incomparable blessings. As I was reading through much of the New Testament and some of Paul's writings, just to kind of look at this word, I was just amazed, whether it's in Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, First and Second Thessalonians, you name it, that word good just appears over and over and over. But the thing that I think that we need to kind of conclude with and remember, and it's really the essence of what it means to cling to what is good, and that is, in a nutshell, when you talk about cling to what is good, it's the same thing as saying cling to God. Because God is good. Don't let go of him. 
He hasn't let go. He has not let go of you. Do not give up on God. He has not given up on us. But clinging to God, making sure that he is the driving force behind the way we live our lives. And that's what this chapter is about, is living lives that are pleasing to God. Clinging to God is the same thing as saying clinging to what is good. So I would encourage you every day, not just here, this is a great place too, but every day look for opportunities to do good. Just to do the right thing for other people so that God might have that glory. So that God might be able to continue to work in us to bring out the very best in us so that we can be blessings to other people. And then as you read this, through this whole section of verses 9 through 16, then I want you to see that as a result of being people who are devoted to clinging to what is good, then our love will be sincere. Then we will pray at all times. That we will rejoice with those who rejoice. That we will never, never ever give up our spiritual fervor all those things will be enhanced by the fact that we are committed to just being good people for god's glory at this time we are going to pause and we're going to reflect on on just how great and how good god has been for us god demonstrates his own love for us and while we were yet sinners christ died for the ungodly you see the thing that i really think takes place I think it's much as a result of God's goodness as anything else is his generosity. Because of God's goodness, we see it reflected in his generosity. And there's nothing that he has done for us that's any more generous than having allowed his son to die on that cross where we should have all died. He died in our place so that we would not have to experience that kind of death. We're able to celebrate that death by own resurrection as we commune together with the Lord's Supper. God's goodness leads to his generosity, and that generosity is about his mercy, about his love, about his grace, about his forgiveness for us. So as we have opportunity now to partake of this Lord's Supper, to reflect on God and his goodness, which is exemplified in the gift of his son, let's do it with hearts and minds that are attuned to him.